0: Hello and welcome to Dockside, the podcast that helps you save and enjoy the waters you love by sharing clean and safe boating practices. I'm your host, Sarah Kennedy. In this episode, we'll talk with search and rescue controller Sandy Needle with the U.S. Coast Guard Sector Los Angeles Long Beach Command Center about the Coast Guard's roles, mission, and services to boating safety and environment protection. Welcome to the show, Sandy.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the U.S. Coast Guard and its many important roles and missions. Okay, Sandy, let's start out with where you're joining us from today.
1: Uh, Good morning. As I said, I'm off duty today, so I'm calling you from
0: home in Huntington Beach, California. Awesome. And how did you get involved in the U.S. Coast Guard? What is your role in the U.S. Coast Guard? What has it been in the past and what is it today?
1: Well, you know, it started back in a long time ago when I was 17 years old in high school, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And I had not, an uncle uh, who had spent time in the Coast Guard and retired from the Navy. He uh, said, "Hey, why don't you uh, think about the Coast Guard as far as uh, uh, a start to your life?" He says, "There's a lot of different missions, different things to do within the Coast Guard." And I looked into it, and you know, lo and behold. Back in 1985, I enlisted in the Coast Guard and went off to boot camp. Uh, from there, I, uh, you know, I spent five years on active duty. Uh, started off in a, with a at a patrol boat, uh, a small boat station, and uh, went to a what they call or what they call a sea school. I went to a radioman school, which uh, that rate is no longer in existence. With the the radio men dealt with search and rescue communications, shipboard communications, things of that. Uh, Did a stint at a rescue coordination center at our district office. Uh, Back then, it was in Long Beach, and then finally uh, transferred to the reserves uh, in two thousand or nineteen ninety, and you know. Did time doing search and rescue communications at our group office in Long Beach. And uh, finally came to a point where uh, I did my career uh, in the reserves. I retired as a, uh, a chief, an operations specialist chief. And uh, an opportunity came along in, in 2003, uh, an interesting opportunity. The Coast Guard at that point said, hey, we're going to, take two two to three spots at every Coast Guard uh, operation center, command center, and we're gonna civilianize them. And the the command at that time uh, knew, knew who I was and knew the work that I was doing in the reserves. They said, hey, why don't you apply for this position? Um, the, the thinking behind civilianizing these positions were to um, provide stability, uh, for Coast Guard members on active duty, they're at a job for about three to four years or a, a, a location, and then they transfer out. Well, your, your local agencies, they get to know them and then they're off. So the Coast Guard uh, did a great job of saying, hey, let's get some continuity built up between the Coast Guard and our partners and in industry and civilianize these jobs. And 20 years later, now as a, a civilian, uh, a federal employee, I'm uh, enjoying my work, loving my job, and uh,
0: talking with you today. Awesome, thank you. And under which government branch does the U.S. Coast Guard fall into? Uh,
1: Currently, at least since 2003, we're under the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Prior to that, back when I first joined, we were a part of the Department of Transportation. Uh, And if you wanna really go back, Prior to 1967, uh, Coast Guard was part of the Department of Treasury, and so a lot of a lot of history there. If for those that are uh, the musical Hamilton uh, lovers, uh, Alexander Hamilton helped create the Coast Guard back in 1790 as the Revenue Cutter Service, and then roughly around 1950, uh, the Revenue Cutter Service joined with the U.S. Life Saving Service to form what we see today as the U.S. Coast
0: Guard. Oh, wow. So interesting. And what are some of the most common active issues on the water that the U.S. Coast Guard responds to?
1: Well, our daily missions go on 24-7, 365. Your historical search and rescue missions, uh, port, waterways, coastal security patrols, uh, homeland Security missions. Uh, we have our environmental response uh, going on on a daily basis and uh, the behind the scenes uh, work from our marine safety side, the our Coast Guard inspectors that are out inspecting uh, passenger vessels, ensuring that folks out on the water are uh, having a
0: safe uh, trips out on the, out on the ocean. Awesome. And can you tell us about some of the latest Coast Guard search, search and rescue response operations involving recreational boaters? Well, if
1: you're here living in Southern California, you know, over the last three to four weeks, we've had some significant weather. Uh, in the wintertime, uh, the search rescue cases actually start to drop as far as in sheer numbers. However, the Uh, challenges uh, revolving around these cases do increase. Uh, We had a high surf event uh, up and down the coast uh, for the last several, uh, you know, weeks. And one of the notable ones, we had a commercial fishing vessel that was trying to enter uh, Channel Islands Harbor during a breaking surf event at at the harbor entrance. The vessel made it in safely. Unfortunately, one of the crewmen was through overboard and uh, he was not wearing a life jacket. Uh fortunately for him, he was a waterman to a point he surfs a lot. He was actually you know, the Coast Guard started our search process on this. He was actually able to surf about a 15 to 16 foot waves to the beach that was adjacent to the harbor where first responders located him. He is alive. He was uninjured, wow. but that was a, a significant uh, incident during a very challenging weather event. Wow. Uh, another uh, event right before the holidays, um, we had a collision in Long Beach Harbor. Uh, uh, some folks that were out uh, at the holiday boat parades, uh, a 24-foot uh, pleasure craft and a 17-foot pleasure craft collided. Uh Unfortunately, uh, the six people on board, the two adults and four kids were ejected into the water. Some were wearing life jackets, some were not. Uh, luckily, the, the, vessel, the other vessel that was involved in the collision stopped and performed rescue. And we were able uh, to bring, you know, they were able to bring all the survivors back on board uh, Long Beach lifeguards and the Coast Guard responded out there and just various injuries, nothing critical, but uh, definitely uh, a challenging event that could have been very tragic. But luckily, everybody uh, went home that night.
0: Wow. Yeah, those were we had some big surf on the coast. Um, we're talking the end of December of 2023. Um and yeah I'm glad those people survived considering they were probably thrown into the water with full clothes on correct and fishing gear and Cor-
1: correct uh, in the case of the the fisherman he was wearing waders oh, which wow. yeah no life jacket so that was a miracle in, in itself <laughs> and then uh, if you've been in Long Beach Harbor there's a lot of commercial activity uh, it's, you know At night, it's a challenge navigating through that area, but to have two vessels out of nowhere just collide with one another and not have a fatality was a, a blessing. So
0: uh, we're very happy that everybody walked away from that event. Thank you for sharing. Um, let's go over some scenarios. Um, first, let's talk about your boat is taking on water and it seems it's going down quickly. You can only grab or do three things. What are you going to go grab, or what are you going to go do?
1: Okay, great question. <laughs> let's uh, let's assume that people listen to your podcast uh, and you know and have taken safety classes and they're wearing their life jackets. That's the easy way. Uh, we've got you know you're already one step ahead of the game. Um, in my experience, I found that. Uh, Unlike the movies, when a vessel starts taking on water, it doesn't immediately sink like the Titanic or something like that. Uh, Vessels tend to have some buoyancy to them. So um, my advice to anybody out on the water is stay with that boat as long as possible. If you are going to have to enter the water, uh, think what you have with you. Maybe you have a surfboard with you. Maybe you have ice chests, uh, anything that floats throwable life jackets, uh, or seat cushions. Um, when a vessel does sink, it tends to produce a b- debris field. Stay within that debris field, stay together. That's always my message to people. If I talk to them on the radio or on the phone, uh, don't try to swim for it. There's safety in numbers. Stay together. If you are gonna grab, uh, say an emergency go kit, which I would recommend for everybody, you're gonna have a VHF radio available to you. You are gonna grab your distress flares. Um, if you have a, what we call an EPIRB, an emergency position indicating radio beacon, you're gonna grab that. That's going to help us take the search out of rescuing you. Now, they call it search and rescue for a reason, but I like to do the rescue vice the searching. Those are all things that are going to hopefully produce a, you know, a positive outcome
0: in locating you and rescuing you uh, in the water. Thank you. And let's go over the second scenario. You're in a remote location, conditions are not favorable, and there is a man overboard. What should the boat captain and crew do?
1: First off, remain calm. That's normally what I tend to see in man overboard situations from the most uh, senior boat operators to the, the novice. The first time people out there is remaining calm. Help is going to be on the way. Uh, first thing is issue a mayday call. Put out of distress. The, having a person in the water is the most critical type of incident that we can deal with. Having people in the water. So you've made contact with us. Help is going to be coming. Help is on the way. We're going to ask you to provide your current location, uh, a GPS position. We're going to ask, what's a description of the individual? Uh, you know, Who are we looking for? And now it becomes uh, incumbent upon a person in my position is to use an investigative techniques. We're trying to build a search plan of, where this person was is at so questions are going to be when did you last see the individual um do you have your present course in speed over that period of time because we're gonna ask you to turn around and start being a searcher you know be reciprocal course um if you have the navigation equipment on board are you able to look at your your log um things of that nature to help define that voyage or that trip you're on. Um, If you have other people on board, uh, make sure they're up on deck. Everybody's wearing a life jacket. The more eyes on the water, the better. Um, A lot of times the, the person that is making the distress call or is contacting us may not have the experience to operate the vessel. I've had that happen before. So now you have two search and rescue cases going on. You have to rescue the individual that's on board that boat, plus the other party that fell overboard. So, circling back to the remaining calm is the the biggest issue uh, that we've got, and being able to articulate the story of what happened. Um, the, that's probably one of the biggest challenge. It, you know, it, it's a dangerous situation, and I I uh, understand the the. You know, I'm dealing with a person on their worst day ever, but help is on the way.
0: Thank you. And how dangerous is carbon monoxide poisoning on a boat? How often does this happen? Um, How can this be prevented? What are some warning signs that someone has carbon monoxide poisoning? And what should a boater do if they realize someone might have carbon monoxide poisoning?
1: You know, that's another uh, great question. I, I think it's almost like a, a, a situation where it's underreported, vice, uh, it's happening all the time, per se. We don't get a whole lot of uh, calls like that. However, based on the symptoms of what we're hearing from boaters, and when a, a call does go bad, we're, we're, we're responding to a person that's deceased on board a boat, we're able to Track it back to carbon monoxide uh, issues or poisoning. Um, one of the the big the big uh, uh, symptoms are a, a, a headache that's re- a really bad headache. Um, nausea, kind of a little bit describes it uh, mimics seasickness. So people don't realize they're having it when you're seasick on a boat. You tend to go to where fresh air is, which will alleviate the issue. Uh, the concerns we see is when Um, say you're at a mooring on Catalina Island and, uh, you have a generator running and you're down in your cabin on your vessel eating dinner. People won't know it's, you know, it's silent. There's no, uh, odor per se, and they get a headache. They don't think much about it. And unfortunately, sometimes people are incapacitated and die, you know, for, for cases, situations like that, um, you could get uh, carbon monoxide poisoning from a, a vessel anchored or side tied to you. Uh, so if there's good ventilation, you're not going to see it. But as I mentioned, a lot of times carbon monoxide poisoning, it's, it's a deadly killer, but it mimics itself as possibly seasickness or another uh, type of issue. Mm. Uh, you know, Years back, we had a, I, had, I ran a case which started off as an overdue boater out of Santa Barbara, where um, they were supposed to go on a fishing trip up to uh, uh, Goleta. We went out there, started searching for them. Uh, they weren't there. We expanded our search off co- offshore, and we found them about 10 miles out drifting. And unfortunately, we found the two victims uh, below deck incapacitated. And we surmised that
0: that was the, the, the cause, was carbon monoxide poisoning. Wow. Um, so in your eyes, what does a safe boater look like? What are things that a safe boater never leaves the dock without?
1: Well, the, the obvious one, and I, you, you, you harp on it on all of your uh, podcasts, which is great, when the safety ones with the, the, the lifeguard chiefs and all, were uh, properly fitting life jackets having that on board, having all your required safety uh, gear on board. Uh, flares that are not expired. A VHF radio. Uh, You're uh, a GPS device, ability to tell us your position. Uh, having that GPS device on is always a big thing. It's an interesting fact that in my experience that people wait till they get into trouble to turn on their GPS units. It takes a while to for it to triangulate and provide a position so when you leave the dock please have your gps up and running um communicate a float plan that is one of the biggest things i see out there when family members go out on trips be it fishing trips day trips um communicating that plan to the family uh having vessel information what it looks like uh their, the registration information, what they're gonna be doing as far as fishing. Because uh, a lot of the questions that I ask when I take a report of a vessel that's either unreported or overdue is, okay, they're fishing. What are they fishing for? As we've seen over the years with the way the water, the warm water, the fishing that you see normally off of Mexico has made its way up to our Southern California waters, up to the Channel Islands and beyond and which are taking people that normally wouldn't go out far, they're heading out far distances to go fish. And these fish like yellowtail or sailfish, once they catch on, to it, it's a, a good three to five-hour battle in some cases for uh, a, a boater to land this fish. And if they, you know, they told their loved one back home, oh, I'll be back in five hours, well, guess what? That five hours turned into uh, seven hours or eight hours, and they're concerned. And it's just because the, they got they caught onto a fish. So communicating a plan, having letting your your contacts on at home know where you're going to go and what you're doing is critical. Um, the affordability of other safety gear like radar, mariners operating in the fog. That's people get lost all the time. Uh, A device called AIS, uh, Automatic Identification System, that's another tool that's become affordable that recreational boaters can have, which, one, for safety purposes, especially if you're operating up in San Francisco Bay or down here off Southern California in the large ports, it allows the big vessels to see you. And it allows the Coast Guard to see you as well in case you do uh, get into an emergency and then, as I mentioned in the, the previous question, a beacon, a emergency, an EPIRB, or a PLB, a personal locating beacon, all helps take the search out of search and rescue.
0: Thank you. And some of the main topics that the U.S. Coast Guard focuses on is recreational safety and environmental protection. A lot of boaters think that they will be stopped by the U.S. Coast Guard only for a life jacket check. What should boaters expect when stopped by the Coast Guard?
1: And to ask a question, it, first off, um, it is a safety check. That's most of the time we're just, we're, we're going in to make sure you say a life, uh, life jacket check. Absolutely. Um, the first question you're going to see is when was the last time you were boarded by the Coast Guard? That's normally the first question out the door. And if you come back and said, oh, it was within the last year, we're going to ask the question of, do you have the gold copy from your boarding form, which is what the Coast Guard form 4100? Sure, we were boarded you know, nine months ago on this date. We're going to say, okay, great. Enjoy your day. Uh, if you haven't been boarded recently, you know, we're going to ask, okay, some other questions would be, you know, where are you coming from? Where are you going to? And then we'll ask the question of uh, make sure there's no weapons or, you know, anything that's going to hurt, you know, uh, our officers before they get on board. And like I said, we're just taking, we're, we're doing a safety check to make sure you have uh, serviceable life jackets. You have enough life jackets and uh, you, you've got flares that are not expired. And we're just going through uh, the safety checklist of what the, the federal requirements are that we have for you to operate, uh, that boat for that particular size.
0: And what could happen if after the vessel inspection, the boat doesn't comply with the federal and state laws? So there are some, if you're, there are some issues. Uh, you can be
1: uh, a verbal warning. Say um, well, the federal law is that you, PFDs, your life jackets need to be readily accessible. Well, if you have them stowed away in your pl- in the plastic bags that you just, you know, you recently bought, that's not a readily accessible uh, life jacket. However, it's easily fixed. You can you know, fix that on the spot. Um, the situations where you're not, if there's more than three similar uh, issues like that, minor and detailed, beyond that, we have, you, know, you could potentially have a voyage termination. Now those normally revolve around hazardous conditions. Say you have seven people on the life uh, of your recreational boat and you only have four life jackets that can't be corrected on spot. We're going to terminate your voyage and we're going to follow you back to the dock and, you know, to have you go get more and start, you know, start the day again, uh, fuel in the bilge. That's another big thing, either diesel or gas. You can't, you know, that's a, an explosive ha- hazard waiting to happen. So y- there are certain things, um, that, they're going to end your day. Uh, Most people, they, they don't. It's, you know, a lot of things are easily corrected on the spot, but ultimately
0: our job is just to ensure that you're having a safe outing out on the water. Thank you. The Coast Guard would like to see all vessels in compliance and safely operated. If boaters are uncertain about the safety requirements for their vessel, what should they do? There are quite a few
1: resources available to you. Uh, the Coast Guard Auxiliary uh, it comes out and does free vessel safety checks. Uh, Power Squadron is another uh, organization that does uh, safety checks. Our, uh, your commercial providers, the uh, Boat US and SeaTow companies, their organizations have uh, online safety programs uh, available to them. State of California will point you in the right direction. And there's a host of other organizations that are out there that are online and are building momentum to create safe environments for boating safety. Uh, I recently have been a part of a, a California Water Safety Coalition that one aspect of this organization is providing, you know, helping mariners locate free life jackets, being emergency water preparedness out on the water. Uh, you know, an overall umbrella in the state of California of water safety of saving lives. So, uh, you know, I, I hate to say Google it, but there there's no reason for an individual not to be able to locate uh, safe uh, information out there to have a safety out on the
0: water. Great, thank you. And what's the role of the U.S. Coast Guard in environmental protection and recreational boating?
1: Well, it's a great question for a leeway uh, because normally when I'm dealing with a search and rescue case, if, <clears throat> excuse me, and we have uh, a vessel sink or go aground, once we take care of the safety concerns of the people on board, everybody's rescued. Now we transition, and it's a quick transition to uh, environmental protection. Now the Coast Guard in the the world, you know, of Uh, emergency response, we coordinate uh, all federal efforts and support our local and state and regional response communities on these types of incidents where you have fuel, potential fuel spill, diesel spill, uh, oil, batteries. We've got to now transition to mitigate that response to protect the environment. So uh, in the Coast Guard world, When a case ends on the search and rescue side, it quickly transitions uh, to that part. Now the, the, the Coast Guard oversees the coastal environment, the EPA, the Environmental Protection uh, Agency, uh, coordinates inland responses uh, for similar activities.
0: And based on state and federal laws, it is illegal to discharge any amount of gasoline, diesel, oil, or other petroleum products into navigable waters of the state or the nation. By law, any oil and chemical spills are required to be reported to both the National Response Center and the State Warning Center. Boaters sometimes get concerned about the potential fines they can get if reporting a spill. The good news is reporting a spill does not necessarily mean a fine. Accidents happen. Could you please expand a little on this issue? Absolutely.
1: As I noted, uh, we lo- work with a lot of agencies. Our, one of our major uh, partners is the California Department of uh, uh, Wildlife uh, Office of Spill Response or Prevention and Response. And even when we're in a traumatic event of a rescue and there's, um, you know, we transition, everybody's been rescued, the medical uh, service has been provided. We do make it a point if uh, to have the a responsible party. If they're not available, we'll make it on their behalf to call the national response center or the California uh, office of emergency services warning center. Uh, it's the first step in a multi-layer response. And that's the, 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 the biggest function that we want to have out there is a response. If we don't know about it, we're not able to affect cleanups and to mitigate whatever that, uh environmental issue is but making out those calls to those organizations starts a process that uh, notifies a lot of various agencies up and down the coast in that area that will respond and i keep on using the term to mitigate and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to mitigate any exposure we're having to the environment and to clean it up and so um your life's moving on and the environment is moving on as well. And uh, we're, you know, we're, we're able to enjoy the, the next day. Um, I've got a couple phone numbers that I'm ha- more than happy to provide. Um, what the, for the National Response, Response Center, it's 1-800-424-8802. And then for the Office of Emergency Services Warning Center, their phone number is one 800 Uh, 852-7550. And we can repeat that at the end of our uh, 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 podcast. But uh, the the key thing is the notification because it does start that wide uh, notification process to get all the required agencies involved to help mitigate the
0: issue. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have any additional safety and clean boating tips for our friends listening today? Do you have anything else to add?
1: Well, we've covered a lot, and that's, and that's a good thing. But uh, in, 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 this is a reoccurring message that you'll see in your podcast, but uh, have a plan. Be prepared when you go out. Know the weather. A lot of people get into trouble by not knowing the weather, what the conditions are offshore, with the winds and the seas, but at harbor entrances as well, as we're, uh, we've seen over the last several weeks and what we're, we're about ready to see here in the next couple of weeks. I know we have a big uh, a surf event starting tonight into tomorrow, but that will continue through the winter. Um, know your abilities to operate the vessel, take these courses, uh, become a better mariner out on the water, um, have a safety plan, In the event an emergency does happen, you you know how to remain calm and how to respond to that. And uh, my friends here with the lifeguards, you know, the the term is respect the ocean. Uh, I can't, that is such a great term because various parts of our coastline from San Diego all the way up to Crescent City and beyond are different environments. a boat might do well in the San Pedro channel off Catalina Island, but you go up to say Santa Cruz Island, in the Santa Barbara channel, conditions are completely different and having an understanding of that, respecting the ocean. You know, I like to joke, uh, that the ocean, you know, it, it, it doesn't choose favorites. It just, it, it, ha- when the ocean wants to do what it wants to do, it will do it. And it's best to be prepared for everything. Don't, don't lose your situational awareness when out on the water. But uh, I do appreciate you taking the time here to, uh, uh, to interview me. I hope it's been very helpful for uh, all the uh, mariners out on the water.
0: Thank you, Sandy. Um, thank you. I appreciate you and your time today. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. And thank you to all of our friends out there listening to Dockside. Please make sure to tune in for future episodes. This podcast was brought to you by the California State Parks and the California Coastal Commission.